So tonight, it is February 15th, 2017. Tonight's message is called Hold Firm. Let's turn right to Matthew 10, 22. Come on. If you're there, say there. Awfully quiet tonight. Come on. Speaking of en route, as Pastor Matt was just saying, let's be praying for our pastors as they're still en route to Indonesia. They won't get there till sometime Thursday afternoon. Is that right, Jen? All right. So keep them in prayer because they are en route. And uh, I know they need to stand firm and to hold firm where they're going. All right. Matthew 10.22 says, All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Everybody say, stands firm. Stands firm. Because we're currently studying Spanish, that term, stands firm, in Spanish is called mantenga firme. Everybody say that with me. Mantenga firme. In Spanish, that is hold firm. That's why tonight's message is called hold firm. So because we're doing this in Spanish... I want to read to you Matthew 10.22 in Spanish. Yeah, come on. All right, Matthew 10.22 in Español. Por causa de mi nombre todo el mundo los odia, pero el que se mantenga firme, say, say it again, mantenga firme, hasta el fin será salvo. So I read that to you tonight in Spanish because currently that is what I'm dealing with. I'm trying to hold firm as we go through learning Spanish. See, we all fight and hold on to something or to, we always hold on or fight for someone or for something. For me personally, I've seen this in my past, my present and my future. In my past, I've had to fight for my wife. In my marriage. Currently, presently, I'm fighting for Baj and for Spanish. <laughs> In the future, I'm going to be fighting for Peru and for souls to be saved over there. Amen. Now, the thing is, like I said, you're always going to have someone or something attached to what you're holding firm to and what you're standing firm for, okay? Like I said, my marriage was for my wife, Kim. For Spanish, is for our elder Baj. Baj is teaching at a much greater pace and rate than we are absorbing, I can tell you that. He's doing a great job. Baj, we love you for your patient endurance with us, brother. The other is for Roy and his family in Peru. We've met others, but those are the ones that we're holding firm to because we know that God is doing something amazing with them. Hey, have I told you how much I love my wife? She was definitely worth fighting for. Definitely worth fighting for. Let's go back to Matthew 10, 22. Stands firm. Stands firm in the Greek. That's Greek number 5278. For those of you that uh, are in the Acts class and those that want to study. The word is hypomenu. It's a verb. The reason I say that is because it means it requires action. Doesn't mean that we're just going to hold firm, stand still like a mannequin. Okay? It means that we actually have to do something. 
We have to fight. We have to put ourselves in position to hear from Almighty God what it is that He's asking us to do so therefore we can move forward in our walk and we can move forward into the promises that God has for us. So we have to do something. We have to, we have to act. We, we, we need to do something. It says, the definition for this is to remain, to persevere, or to endure, or even to abide. When you hear those words, the first thing that comes to your mind is, Something that might be stagnant, okay? But we do not move forward in the kingdom of God unless we're being active and we're standing firm for something. I was talking with Pastor Matt earlier, and I was telling him that our church, LCM, our three pastors, they have stood firm in the sense of being very active. Like he just said, if you miss one week here, it's like missing... 10 years. I mean, it's amazing at the rate and the growth of what we learn here. And because of their obedience and their steadfastness to move forward, we are the product of them standing firm. We're receiving discipleship, maturity. They're equipping us and preparing us to go into the nations. If you stop and think about this for a second, just by them alone continuing to move forward and to stay steadfast, and holding firm, we're reaching the nations as we speak. Two of our pastors and one of our elders are on the way to Indonesia, Turkey, and elsewhere. What started in a garage, what started as baptism in an apartment swimming pool, guys, this is where we're at today. Look at where we're going to be in 10 years. We're already, I mean, we got Nick and Judah going to Turkey. My family's being prepared to go to Peru. Uh, We got Brent already in Indonesia. I mean, who would have thought? The thing is, if Eric, Matt, and Wade would not have taken this serious, I wouldn't even be preaching this message tonight about, you know, holding firm. So we need to reflect on that. That standing firm and holding firm, both, they require some action. Let's go back to Exodus um, 14. This was a message that uh, Pastor Eric preached. This was um, last Wednesday. The devil and the deep blue sea. He touched on this, and I think it's worth going back to because... Okay. It says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In the Hebrew, stands firm is the word yesab. That's Hebrews 33.20. Again, guess what? It's a verb. That means it's going to require action. Its definition is to station oneself, to take one stand. What I liked about this scripture is I was, I was studying and preparing for this message last week, and then Pastor Eric had it in his sermon. And he began to expound upon, at the very end of this it says, You need only to be still. That to be still also requires action. It also requires that we have a spiritual stillness in our minds. It doesn't mean a physical inactivity. It just means that we need to be still so that way we can hear from the Lord what the next step is, what the next move is. And so when I saw that, it had both of them in there. Both of them give an example 
about us standing still or holding firm, but yet both are verbs and require some action on our part. See, when we stand firm, we can see God's deliverance in our own life. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. Let's go to verse 11 and 12. It says, Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand. Here we see he's Yasabing. In the middle of the field, he defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. <laughs> See, Shama, he's standing in the field. He took his position. He was one of David's mighty fighting men. He didn't just stand there in the field waiting in the defense. He was on the offensive. It says he struck down the Philistine. Okay? So many times in life, we're going through life and we find ourselves just standing on the defense. We're waiting for something to happen to us. But no, we have to take the initiative. We have to have action because that's what it says, that we must take action. We can't just stand around waiting for something to happen. We have to cause it to happen. We have to cause the action. When we do that, we'll be just like Shama. He was the one who was fighting. He was fighting. As he was fighting, the Lord brought deliverance for him. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles 20, 17. This here, just with uh, everything that I've been going through lately and the trials and, like I said, with Spanish, you know, the enemy has really been coming on me with, oh, well, you know, you're learning this too slow. You're not, you're not speaking correctly. Um, I'm like, Lord, but I speak Cajun. I mean, you know, you got to give me some, a little break there. But... Um, you know, he's just, even while I'm studying, Kim and I were studying the other night, <clears throat> and as we're studying, you know, we just feel overwhelmed that, oh man, with everything we have going on, we don't feel like we're making the progress we are. You know, Baj is very encouraging. He says, no, brother, you're doing well. I mean, we are getting ready to take our fourth test in chapter four in Spanish, and this is a college curriculum. So for us, this is absolutely amazing. It, it is, uh, when did we start this? Um, back in... July or August when we came back from Peru the last time. So, I mean, it's amazing to see the progress that we've made, you know. But here's the thing. We're not just standing firm and holding firm to what we've learned. Everything that we've learned in Chapter 1, everything we learned in Chapter 2, Chapter 3, we, we need every bit of it for Chapter 4. And if we don't, we will have no clue what we're talking about or what we're doing for the chapters to come. It's the same way, guys, as it is with the Word of God. We cannot continue to sit in the classes. We cannot continue to sit in church and hear what our pastors are preaching and say, that's it. I, I need no more. No, we continually need what we're learning right now for the future. All of you have a calling. All of you have a destiny. You were sent here because this is a church that sins. This is not a church that comes to become stagnant. We're a church of activity. So think about that. Why are you here at this church? Are you here just to fill up seats on Wednesdays and Sundays? Or are you here to fulfill your calling? Guess what? The pastor's already proven to you. You have to come to them. 
they're not going to you. Okay? They're coming here so you can come here and get what it is that you need. Andrew, it's what you need. Nolan, same thing. What do you need? Um, you know, Cody, without them, you may not make it to Mexico, right? You're just like me. You're going through that trial, that tribulation of Spanish with Baj. But brother, you know the Lord has spoken to you about Mexico. Huh? <laughs> so the thing is, we have to take action. We have to do something. The ball is in our court. We can no longer just come, sit, and be passive. It's time that we step up, right? Didn't we just hear this word from Pastor Wade? It's time to step up. How have you been doing since Sunday? How many of you have stepped it up? What have you done different? What have you done new this week in the, just the first three days of the week? We still have three, four more days to go. Are you stepping up or are you still sitting on what you learned and what you heard on Sunday? Got to hold firm to something, guys. Because of that, the Lord gave me 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. I read it. It resonated in my spirit. This has become my new anthem. And it says, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm, Yasab. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. And the Lord will be with you. Man, that says it all right there. It, th this has really, really encouraged me to be able to hold firm to the things that I know that I'm fighting for. Like I said earlier, there's always something that we have fought for. There's something that we're fighting for now and something that we will fight for. Because of that, it says, see the deliverance the Lord will give you. But we have to remember, we have to yasab something. Okay, we have to stand firm. We have to hold firm to it. He's not going to deliver you if you're just sitting around on the couch. I mean, come on. You're not fighting for anything. So what is there to be delivered from? You can't just sit around or cross your arms and stand still and say, Okay, Lord, I know you're with me. I know you've gone before me. I'm going to let you deliver me. Hmm. Is it quiet in here because... Some of us have our arms crossed and we're waiting for the Lord to deliver us. We see here. Hmm. We still have to stand firm. We can't be afraid. This here, what I just read, it goes back to Exodus 14, the, the scripture we just read. We can't be still, guys. What I, want to, what I want us to take from this message tonight is that we have promises that God has given us and that we're going to see them. But we have to have an eternal perspective of that. We cannot just look at the trials and tribulations that we're dealing with right now, today, or yesterday. We have to be able to begin to see what it is that God has promised us in the future. We, we don't even realize what we're fighting for sometimes because all we're looking for is, man, my job is hard and what I need to do is just get through this week. No, it's more than just that. It's the fact that what we're fighting for today is a culmination of one thing after another after another that's leading to the promises that God is going to reveal to us. Amen? Amen. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 12. 
verse 1 through 3. <clears throat> Hold tight, I'm getting there. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, like Pastor Eric says, when you see therefore, see what is therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, let us throw off everything that hinders, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hmm. This right here, it says it all. Jesus himself is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know, we... We see Jesus on the cross. And he's there. He's just hanging. And to us, or to those that don't understand, it looks like he's just hanging around on a cross. He's just enduring punishment. He's enduring pain. But he's not doing anything. But he is. Because right here, he's enduring. That word enduring is also yasab. When we look that up, it says that he is yasabing. His body, his flesh, is having to endure. So just because we don't see him moving, he is actively and physically fighting off sin. Our sin. The sin that he died for, which is ours, not his. And that so came alive to me when Pastor Matt and I were talking about it. You know, we look at it, and, and the things that Jesus accomplished on the cross, <laughs> he accomplished more by, by yasabbing his flesh to the pain than we do on a daily basis. Think about the things that we trial about. Think about the things that we complain about when we feel injustice in our life. The things that we're fighting against, it's nothing, nothing at all compared to what Jesus had to endure for us. Because of him, because of his yasabing, because of him holding firm, what it did on the cross was it brought salvation to the whole world. So we think about this. Our own decisions about how much we're going to hold firm has such a direct impact, not only on us, but the others around us. Just as I was saying earlier about our pastors. By them holding firm, we're getting to see nations being touched. Amen? So here Jesus is the author 
and the perfecter of our faith. Hmm. So if that is true, and we are in Christ Jesus, and we take upon his very nature, we take upon his character, what does that mean for us? That means that we will endure the same hardships that he has. Why should we expect something less? Why should we expect something less, y'all? If we're going to walk around with the name of Christ on us, expect the same things that he had. So next time we want to complain about something, the next time we feel like justice is, injustice is, bringing, is being brought forth to us, think about what Jesus had to endure on the cross for our sake. I don't know about you guys, but I have not endured anything to the extent of what Christ has. So I owe all of it. I owe all of my life to him because without his sacrifice, I wouldn't have any to even worry about fighting. So if we're going to be in Christ, um, is Joy back there tonight? Joy, can you put up that um, chart, please? If we are going to be in Christ, then what, what this is, is we're going to receive... Uh, Okay, so that'll be posted online because it may not be uh, easy for everyone to see. But if we're going to be in Christ, we as the church, we are the church of Christ. We're going to receive the same eternal promises that Jesus poured out to the seven churches. And that's what this chart is. This is a chart about the churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And what I wanted to do is just highlight to you the way these churches were going through challenges and what Jesus told them was that, hey, these are the challenges, the things that I see in you. A lot of them thought that they were holding firm. A lot of them thought that they were doing great until he said, hey, these are the things I have against you. And they realized then, uh-oh, man, I thought I was doing good. I mean, that's kind of like when Pastor Eric comes to you and says, hey, can I have about two minutes of your time? I'm telling you. That's when he says, look, I'm proud of you, but this is what I have against you. I know because I've had that experience a couple of times. <laughs> but it is good. It is good. Because what it does is it puts you back on track and allows you to become what? More active in your faith to do the things that you know you should be doing instead of just sitting around. Instead of being inactive, right? So again, we have to learn this whole yasabing thing. We have to learn what it means to be active in our faith. So go with the, uh, the first one. I don't know if you guys can see it, but like I said, we'll have it posted so that way you can. It's in uh, Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. So Ephesus. Um, their charge against them, the thing that they were being uh, challenged with, was intolerant to the wicked men. And Jesus told them, okay, every one of these he lists out and he said, here's the charge, but if you overcome, this is what you're going to receive. So for Ephesus, what they would receive is the tree of life. They would have eternity in their hearts. They would be able to sit with the glory of God. Smyrna. Their challenge was poverty and persecution. However, if they overcome, which means again what? They're going to have to be active and do something. To do it, they're not going to receive the hurting of the second death, the lake of fire. They will not have to live a life being consumed by the fire. As I go through these, 
I want you guys to kind of reflect. Like I said, we are the body of Christ. These are the same promises that we will inherit if we hold firm. While I'm going through them, I want you to be reflecting yourself, thinking about where do you fall into these categories. And look, don't just put yourself in one and think, well, okay, I'm with Ephesus. No, I guarantee you, like me, I found myself in a couple of them. You know, I was looking at that and I was like, man, it's like a bingo game. Uh, three across, three down, whatever. And I'm like, huh, oh, Lord, give me grace, give me mercy. You know, pour it out upon me because I don't want blackout. I don't want to be in every category. I mean, okay. Pergamum. Pergamum, their challenge was living where Satan has his throne. That's right here, guys. We're living it right now. We're living in the world that Satan rules. If, I mean, listen, I don't need a show of hands, but just about everybody can put themselves in that category. <clears throat> if we hold firm, the promise that we will receive is this, hidden manna, which we see in Exodus. It's just falling from the heavens. We'll receive manna from heaven daily, more than we can accumulate, more than we can hold. Pastor Eric did a great teaching on a Monday night. Again, we should be active and we should be at Monday nights. There's no reason not to be there. But he taught a great teaching about how much manna actually fell from the sky, I mean from the heavens. Um, I mean, it, it was amazing. We'll receive the white stone. This one here intrigued me because I didn't know what it was. So I looked this up. This white stone... The white stone in, in their day was their ticket, their entrance to the Messianic festivals. All the public festivals, you had to have a white stone and you would be admitted. So you're thinking, yeah, what does that mean for us? That white stone for us, guys, that is our ticket into the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen. Amen. The other thing that we will receive is our new name, our new name in Christ Jesus. Thyatira. Theirs was combating Jezebel's spirit, sexual immorality. We don't even have to elaborate on that because we know. If we do hold firm, we're going to be reigning with Christ Jesus and we're going to have authority over the nations. Look, that one there, we're already putting into practice. Brent is over in Indonesia. He's already seeing strongholds being broken there. Our pastors are headed over that way. They're going to take authority over that nation. Amen. Sardis. Resisting apathy. Oh, I'm telling you. We talked about inactivity. Man, there's so many times I hear this running through. Uh, I'll just be honest. I hear a lot of it in our congregation. Resisting apathy, feeling sorry for ourselves, wanting somebody else to do something for us. Guys, I'm telling you, we have to hold firm. We have to do what we have to do. We can't just sit around and then come to the pastors and expect them to do it for us. We can't get around with five or six, as our five or six of our brothers and say, man, look, I'm hurting, I'm trialing, tribulation here, this is what's going on, and expect that they'll do it for you. Yes, we're to help carry their burdens, but you have to carry your own load. Amen? Amen. If we do this, we will be dressed in, right, in white and receive those righteous deeds. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. They couldn't hold on. They had little strength. They had little strength to hold on. 
if they could be encouraged and they could overcome, they would become pillars in the temple of God. Guys, there's nothing more that we want than to be a pillar in the house of God. We want to sit on one of those 12 thrones. One of them was vacated and it was filled. But we want to have our own throne sitting at the right hand of Jesus, just like he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's a promise for us. And you know, when we go through these trials, when we go through things on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, I know for me, sometimes I forget about these promises. I don't always remember why I'm fighting. I don't remember, you know, I'm just trying to get ahead. I'm just, like I said earlier, we're just worried about the next day. We're worried about the next week. What about what's to come? That's what we're fighting for. And if we can do that and have this eternal perspective, we wouldn't be so caught up and worried about all the temporal things that occur in our lives. You know, all the arguments, all the frustrations, you know. I mean, honestly, if we did not worry about all these temporal things that are just a, a, a flash, I mean, that would cut out half of our altar calls. That would cut out half of our repentance. I mean, I'm just being real. I mean, yes, repentance is great. The altar is great. But how much more is holiness and righteousness in our life? Amen. I mean, if, we, if we're taking upon the image and likeness of Christ, couldn't we do a little bit better job at holding firm to the holiness and righteousness in our lives? Amen. The last one, Laodicea. We know that one. They were lukewarm. They weren't hot or cold. Um... Jesus even tells him, he says, look, I don't even like that. I'd rather you be hot or be cold. Let's be one or the other. Let's not be in the middle. I mean, when we're in the middle, we don't know what to do with you. I mean, we can't correct you. We can't encourage you. We can't discipline you. I mean, because you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there. I mean, there's nothing worse than someone not doing anything at all. I'd rather you, like Pastor Eric said, I'd rather you do something wrong so then we can show you the right way and teach you from it. Um, we don't expect perfection, although Pastor Wade preached about being perfected, right? All right. Um, hey, while I'm talking about that, I want to share with you this. Just because of everything that's going on, all the messages that have been being preached lately. Um, I had this in the message, took it out, but I feel like we need to, I need to share this with you because it's important that we understand what God is trying to say tonight about having an eternal perspective to receive the promises of God. Listen to this. <clears throat> this is uh, about six or seven messages that we've heard recently. And when I looked at them and put them together, listen to this statement. It says, Are you going to rise up, stand firm, begin to cultivate your call, and get Joash in the right place so that you can activate your faith? Yeah. Amen? This, this all has been, uh, I mean, within the last, what, February, February, uh, three or four of them from February, August, and December. And, um, you know, whenever, I mean, we don't plan these messages. We don't put them together uh, ahead of time. Although, I will tell you this. I put my message together earlier, like days earlier. I came and sat with Pastor Matt today. Oh, yeah. This message tonight is exactly what you need to hear because it's what God gave us to speak tonight. It's not at all what I prepared, but it is exactly what God wanted you to hear. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So we finished up with the lukewarm life. 
the right to be seated with Jesus. That's what we're going to get. Just like Laodicea, this is exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get the opportunity to sit with Jesus Christ on the throne in the throne room of God. But we can't have a lukewarm kind of life. So again, I said, evaluate yourself as we go through this list. As we've gone through all of these, evaluate yourself. Find out where exactly are you. Be honest with yourself. Don't read them and say, oh, yeah, that looks good for so-and-so. I'm good there. I'm good there. Don't do name-calling. Call yourself first. Isn't that what we're supposed to do with the Word of God? Amen. The Word of God is supposed to be a mirror, and we're supposed to reflect on it first before we even begin to preach it, right? We can't preach it if we're not living it, right? That's why I shared with you earlier what I'm going through, you know. I'm going through the trial right now of Spanish, having a great time with it, enjoying it, because I understand the importance and the magnitude of fulfilling that promise that God has called my family to Peru. Without Spanish, the kingdom would not be advanced there. But I'm telling you, it's not easy. I have to put in the time. I have to put in the studies. I have to take off work for class. I have to do all those things. But it is so worth it because I know that I have eternal promises that I'm guaranteed if I hold firm to it. Amen? Amen? As I was saying, evaluating yourself through this process, you think you're holding firm. Turn with me real quick to 1 Corinthians verse 10. What I said. Amen. So that's why it's good to have your brothers. What's our motto? I need my brothers and my brothers need me. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 12, he says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Hmm. Like I said, don't be overconfident. When you think you're doing good, always evaluate yourself and see exactly where you're standing. So I have a great example of this, guys, because sometimes we see ourselves so much different than everybody else sees us. Sometimes we see ourselves better. Sometimes we see ourselves worse. There's both ends of the spectrum. I think we all like to lean more on the side of a little bit being better. You know, we always see ourselves more high and mighty than we really are. <clears throat> In my life, I could see this as a physical therapist. I would see probably 30, 40 people in one day. We do evaluations on them, okay? So they come into the office having back pain or whatever it is. And I say, um, hey, so let me see you stand up. Well, first off, it's, you know, oh, oh, okay, I'm good. And then I said, okay, now go ahead and stand up for me. Stand up nice and straight. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, maybe they didn't hear me. Like they might be old, you got your hearing aid on, what's going on? Or maybe they're, yeah, I don't know what's going on. So I'm like, yeah, please go ahead and stand up nice and straight for me. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like that thing that Pastor Eric did in service one time. He said, look, raise your hands. Okay, now raise them as high as you can get. Okay, now all the way. And we still had a little bit in the reserve. So they're standing there. So then what happens is then I begin to evaluate them. I look at their posture. I look at how they're standing, right? How are they standing? Standing firm or they're not standing firm? Then what I do is I give them, here's our game plan. This is what we're going to do to help fix that. And if we do fix that, we have a promise. The promise is that you're going to be healed. The promise is that you're going to have no pain. Um, Tara, not long ago, you didn't even need a physical therapist. We sat in here and we saw the power of God move right through you. Amen? Amen. 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 And, you know, it's funny. 
I was in, this, in the, in the uh, physical therapy field for 14 years, and that's where I was when I got saved. So I began to go to that route that Tara just took, was that as patients come in, I'd see them, I'd check out their, their stance, I would evaluate them and give them the program because that's what I was paid to do. But behind the scenes, I would say, closed doors, I began to lay hands on people. I began to watch them get healed right there. We would spend 10 minutes talking about the evaluation and the next 30 to 40 minutes praying for them because I understood that the power of God was much stronger than our power, much stronger than what we could do. There was times I'd even call Kim. I'd say, hey, babe, there's uh, this lady here. We need to pray and intercede for her. Can you come up here? She would leave the house and finish what she was doing to come, or not finish what she was doing, come up there for us to pray, lay hands on them, and we begin to see people get healed. We begin to see people uh, restored with their health with no pain. I mean, it was amazing. And so what I'm telling you this for is the fact that we have to analyze ourselves and see where we are. Evaluate us. Put yourself in one of those categories that were in the uh, chart there from one of the churches. Because if we do what we're supposed to do and we hold firm, we're going to receive these promises. The promises that the churches have are the same ones that we're going to receive. See, standing firm, it's an act of demonstration of our faith. But the thing is, it requires action on our part. We can't just sit back. We can't just sit back and allow things to take place and just step into them and say, well, I'm participating. No, it's not that I'm participating. It's that you have actively taken that step and begin to do it yourself. A good place that shows this example, everybody turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. says therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what we see is temporary, but with it, what is unseen is eternal. This, this scripture, guys, I want to take a second with it. Like I told you earlier, when we hold firm, there's always something that we're fighting for, that we have fought for, that we're currently fighting for, or that's something we're going to fight for. That's the reason why we're holding firm. Let's look back in verse 16. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, do not lose heart. That is the past. Doesn't matter what has happened to you in the years past. It's just that. We had a fight for it, but it's now gone. Move on to verse 17. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That is the present. Because what we are 
achieving while we're standing firm and fighting is the promises of the seven churches. That's what we're achieving right now. I know we don't see them. That's why it says what we don't see is eternal. The things we do see are temporal. So, guys, we're fighting for something right now. Today's present. My Spanish, whatever it is in your life, you have to do an evaluation of yourself. What is it that you're fighting for right now that you will receive eternal promises for? See, we're so much so used to the here and now. I want everything now. If I do something, I want to be reimbursed. I want to be paid. I want my reward now. We are a here and now type of people. If I give, I receive. We don't know how to just give and wait for something to come in the future. We want everything right here and right now because we're so used to instant satisfaction. I mean, that's why there's drive throughs for everything nowadays. I mean, you drive through and, and, and be prayed for. You drive through and go for a funeral. I mean, it's ridiculous. We have to learn how to hold firm and wait for the promises of God in our life. Amen? Amen. For our future. It says, verse 18, So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What do you see right now in front of you? What do you see in front of you right now that seems to be a struggle, to be a trial? Something that is really getting to you that you feel like, I just can't hold firm. I can't stand it anymore. It's something we see. So that means it's temporary. Has anybody fought a battle in here that you're still fighting? That you're looking at it in the face? That is temporary. It doesn't matter if it's a week or if it's three months or if it's four years. My wife knows. She's been fighting a, a battle for about five or six years. But again, that five or six years is temporary. Amen. It's temporary because if we hold to this battle, she's going to receive all the promises that God has given to the seven churches. Amen. Look, we're not the only ones fighting for something that is unseen. That's for everybody here. Everybody here. Pastor Matt, who's leading worship? Peyton? Come on. I want us to take an opportunity to reflect on our life and to be able to respond in the fact that the battles we're going through are things that we see today. But I want to encourage you that they are temporary. The things that we don't see are the things that are eternal. And through that, we just have to hold firm. We have to stand firm with the hope and the expectation that the promises we will be fulfilled. Because every one of them that God has spoken to us will be fulfilled. When we started worship... We sang the song, Set a Fire. Set a fire. I want more. Fill me up. Jennifer started singing, I trust you. Two years ago, guys, we were here in worship. Two years ago, 
that song is a song that the Lord spoke to me and my family about moving here. And I said, amen, because I want more of you. This is where I want to be, and I want a fire to be set with, uh, inside of me. And I trusted him. And now two years later, we're here. We're being equipped, and we're about to reach the nation of Peru. So, guys, we're going to take an opportunity to be able to stand firm. Search your heart right now. Pastor Matt has a word. We're going to take the time. We'll get back into worship. Open the altar again. Whatever it is that you're in a battle for, bring it to the altar. Don't keep battling it by yourself. Just like we heard in the scriptures earlier, God will deliver you, but you have to continue to fight. He will deliver you. It may be that you worship and he delivers you. It may be that you fight and he delivers you. But either way, you will be delivered. Amen? Amen. Before we move forward, Joy, can you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? And guys, take out your Bibles as well. I want to read a scripture before we proceed to communion. We're going to pick up in verse uh, 27 and proceed down. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to do what, church? Examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. You know, part of I love about Buddy's message is that it is a snapshot into Buddy's life. He's having to hold firm. He's having to examine his own heart. Joy, if you could, pull up that chart again. So before we go into our liturgy, our writ, uh, rhythm of communion and worship, I really want every single person in this room, worship team, sound booth, those of you sitting in L7, even those of you who may be watching this online, I want you to evaluate the condition of your heart right now. Not anybody else's. Blame cannot be shifted to somebody else. In this, this chart, do you do like Buddy mentioned earlier in playing bingo? Do, does your life black it out? Or do several categories match? Let me walk you through this. Every challenge has an inverse of promise. So what I mean is the challenge that Ephesus had was having to deal or be intolerant with wicked men. You know what wicked men do? Produce death. So what's the promise if you hold on to being intolerant to wicked men? You get the tree of life. What happens if you persevere, that you hold on and hold firm in the midst of poverty and persecution? I don't know about you guys, but just one of those is good enough for me. But now both compiled together. What's the reward? There is no more poverty. There is no more persecution, and you do not partake of the second death. It will not harm you. You go untouched 
by the effects of death. What about the next church? Pergamum, living where Satan has his throne. Come on, everybody in this room is living in a neighborhood that they relatively feel safe in. If, they, if not, that's the American dream, is to live in a place where you feel completely insulated from anything that can go wrong. Here, this church is planted where Satan has his very throne. What a place to live in. Utter darkness so that you as the light of God could shine brightly. What's the promise? You get hidden manna. You know, God provides revelation, which then becomes a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. You get a new name, and upon, upon that white stone is written that new name. Name in Hebrew is your shem. That means your character, your body of work, your reputation. When Jesus made you a new creation, if that actually applies to you, if he made you a new creation, he didn't just goosebumps and a way to be good. He gave you a new character. He gave you a new body of work. He gave you a new reputation. And this is a promise given to those who live in a city where Satan has his ultimate dominion. The next promise, the next challenge, combating the Jezebel spirit. Oh, my goodness, that is rampant in America, where there has been the demasculization of men in this country. I love the rebellion of growing beards because that's what men are supposed to do. If women were supposed to grow beards, they would grow them. Some that I know grow some mustaches, but they can deal with that. But it's combating a Jezebel spirit. That Jezebel spirit wants to dethrone the authority of God and place herself upon in that leadership position and subject everyone else to her leadership, particularly much like Artemis, and have a, a band, have a, a choir of men who are emasculated. That sounds much like a certain denomination of church where a woman is the head of the church, the ultimate authority, and is served by priests who are neutered. Yeah, strikes a bell. The result in combating the Jezebel spirit is that God gives you authority over nations. It's the inverse of improper use of authority. Next one down, resisting apathy. This is the American dream, that you spend 40, 50 years of your life slaving away working day in and day out for the next paycheck, and if you can, save up enough to retire in the last five or ten years of your life to do what? Absolutely nothing. You say, well, to do what I want to do. You just trained your body and your mind and your soul to rigorously labor for 40 or 50 years so that you can do nothing. I can tell you everyone that retires goes crazy after the first year. All right, you've been to Paris, you drove to Yosemite Park, you went to New York City, you came back home, I'm bored. What am I going to do? I'm going to clean my house until it is like a surgical operating room and the yard is impeccable seven days a week. We are going to resist apathy by clothing ourselves with the righteous deeds of Christ. 
You got something to do and you got something to do until the day you die. Little strength to hold on. You know, the reason that we need the power of the Holy Ghost is because in and of ourselves, we do not have the ability to completely accomplish everything that God has ordained for us. Praise God for that. And if you right now are stretching out more and more to be plugged into the body, to press into the word, to live up to the pace of life here at LCM, and it is killing you, amen. Because you have been finally emptied of your own strength, making room for the power of God to fill you, and that it is supernatural strength that you're able to hold on, and the result is the complete opposite, that you will become a pillar in the temple of God. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word pillar, I think of those huge columns that support bridges that go over mighty rivers. I was born in Baton Rouge, and every day you could look and see as we traversed back and forth my dad's work, the Mississippi River Bridge, and it's massive. And I would always stare at the columns and the pillars that supported it, especially when it would flood and the mighty rivers would rush by it. That you, right now in your frail state, in your own strength, you are nothing more than a reed or twig stuck in the mud. But regenerated, moved and filled by the power of God, you become a concrete pillar that is immovable by any circumstance. That's a promise that I know that you want, that you're working towards. There's a process of getting there, but we've got to get rid of you before we get filled. Lastly, lukewarm life. Insulated from anything of passion or pursuit. You know that Laodicea was known for their wealth. That they were richly clothed and were well-to-do. What in your life, as you're evaluating your own heart, have you insulated yourself from having to make a passionate pursuit? That there are areas where you should be pursuing and pressing in, and you're not because you're just not sure if it's going to work out for you. There are other areas where you're advancing in selfish ambition, but God doesn't want you to because it's yours and not his. But really, your pursuit of your selfish ambition is so that you can achieve the result of being insulated with comfort and with ease. Evaluate your heart tonight, saints. Where do you stand? More important thing is what do you need to do to respond? So if you're apathetic and you're battling it, it, battle it with pursuing righteous deeds. If you're battling with a lukewarm lifestyle, Become on fire for God. Cry out. Say, Lord, set me on fire for you. Consume me with your presence. Move me. Shake me from my apathy. So we're going to stand to our feet now.